we venture into a large and often overlooked portion of Scripture. Uh, I don't know about you, but as I'm kind of reading my way through, uh, through the Old Testament, uh, there are portions of Scripture where, I hate to admit it, but I'm prone to begin to skim a little, right? How many of you read through the Old Testament in its entirety? All right, you guys know what I'm talking about. Um, you're reading along and it's names, 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 right? Numbers, 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 numbers. And, and I'm willing to bet most likely tabernacle instructions, tabernacle instructions, tabernacle instructions. Like this goes on and on. What does it mean? Why is this here? We're not typically bent towards slowing down and digging into these verses. You're, you're not going to find these verses on the, on the memory worksheets in our kids' ministry. Um, but listen to what one Old Testament commentator had to say. His name's A.W. Pink, and uh, these words uh, stop me in my tracks. He says, we now arrive at the longest, most blessed but least read and understood section of this precious book of Exodus, the, the most blessed part of this book. We've seen some amazing things on our journey through Exodus. He says this is the best part. In fact, worthy of our closest and fullest consideration that more space is devoted to an account of the tabernacle than any other subject or object treated in all holy writ. Uh, I didn't fact check him on that, but that's... Seems likely. There's no other topic given this much. He says two chapters suffice to record God's work in creating and fitting this earth for human habitation, whereas 10 chapters are needed to tell us about the tabernacle. Truly, God's thoughts and ways are different than ours. How sadly many of God's own people have dishonored him and his word by their studied neglect of these chapters. Ouch. That, that hurts. Um, two chapters for creation and 10 chapters for the tabernacle. That ought to, that ought to get our attention. Um, but let's go back before A.W. Pink. Uh, another Old Testament commentator says this, for whatever was written in the former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. Uh, of course, that Old Testament commentator's name was Paul. That's, that's Romans 15, 4. And of course, he wasn't original there. He's quoting, uh, he's drawing from another Old Testament commentator before him named Jesus, of whom it is said, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Jesus began with Moses he preached about himself in the tabernacle. Um, so we're going to follow suit. And uh, we're going to work our way through this. Um, my plan in, in my, how does he put it, studied lack of uh, attention um, was to spend six weeks going through the tabernacle. As I'm looking at it, I'm starting to feel like, you know, we're going to leave some breathing room. We, we might camp here a little bit longer than that. Um, it's rich. It's beautiful pictures of Jesus laid out for us. And I don't want to blow through this. Today, we're going to be in Exodus 25. Um, so turn with me there. Um, if you don't have a Bible on you, go ahead and slip up your hand. One of our ushers will get a Bible into your hand. We want you to have God's word open in front of you. Um, I have a confession to make. I have nothing of value to say. Uh, I, I come um, with nothing but God's word. And so... That's my hope that as we leave here, we leave having seen what God says and not what I say. And, uh, and so we want you to have that. And, and if you don't have a Bible at home or one that you can read easily, take this one. Keep it. It's our gift to you. We want you to have it. Um, last week, we had to order a whole bunch of new Bibles because we depleted our pile. And that is awesome. We rejoice in that. Um, that is one of our favorite places to spend money. Um, so take it. Um, Exodus 25, um, we're going to start this morning there, but we are going to cover a ton of ground this morning. Um, we've got work to do, especially this morning, uh, but even going forward, if you've read through Exodus, um, again, 10 chapters here, um, but a lot of it is repetition. A lot of it is um, kind of paralleling other passages. So basically what you have, kind of seeing the lie of the land here, um, chapters 25 to 30 is is God giving Moses the instructions for building the tabernacle? 
And then verses 32 to 34 is the story of the, the golden calf and Israel's rebellion against God. Moses pleads with God on their behalf and God is gracious to them and, and renews his covenant with them. And then verse 35 picks up again on tabernacle stuff and, and 35 to 39 is, is almost copy and paste from, from 25 to 31. But this time, instead of the direction of do this, now it's here's what the people did. And it, it walks through uh, meticulously the people obeying word for word, every detail of what God commanded them to do. And then chapter 40 is where we'll end um, God filling the tabernacle with his glory, his presence come down. So that's what lies ahead. Um, but what we're going to do is rather than, than work through the tabernacle twice, um, as we work through uh, verses 25 to 31, we're going to skip ahead. And, and so we'll first look at the instruction and then we'll look at the obedience to it. Um, sometimes that's going to be smaller chunks. Today it's a couple bigger chunks. And uh, as I was considering, boy, how do we navigate that? Um, what do we do with that? I was reminded of 1 Timothy 4.13. And Paul is giving instructions to Timothy. Here's how to, here's how to start a church. Here's how to continue to care for a church. And one of the things he says is, until I come, devote yourselves to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation and teaching. Um, it's tempting for me to say, well, let's just teach on it. Let's not read all of it. Paul says, no, devote yourselves to the public reading of Scripture. Um, so we're going to read it. We're going to read all of it. And when we come to chapter 40, we're going to be able to say, hey, as a church, we have read through every word of the book of Exodus. Um, and, and I think that honors the Lord and honors his word rightly. So we're going to start out um, chapter 25, looking at verses 1 to 9 is kind of this first chunk that we're going to look at. Um, the Lord is giving them these instructions. Here's how to build the tabernacle. The tabernacle is uh, this sanctuary, this place where God's presence is going to dwell. The holy God. They, remember they gathered at Mount Sinai and the voice of the Lord shook, the, the, shook them, rung out like thunder, and they were terrified. And now he's saying, my presence is going to come and be among you in the tabernacle. And that's where you'll be able to approach me. This is God with them. And it's striking as he begins these instructions. Where does he start? Um, he starts with, with generous giving. He starts calling them to give. Um, now, don't freak out. We're not starting a building campaign. I don't have a thermometer hiding behind the curtain. Um, but as we work through God's word, uh, here it is. And, and I get that there's the skepticism out there. You know, pastors shouldn't talk about money. Um, I'm not talking about money. I'm just saying what God's word has to say. That's our goal. And uh, as we're working through God's word, here it is. So, um, so we're going to talk about it. Uh, and, and as God lays out for his people... This is how my presence will be with you. I'm coming to dwell with you. This is where he starts, with generous giving. So uh, let me read verses uh, 1 to 9, chapter 25. The Lord said to Moses, Speak to the people of Israel that they take for me a contribution. From every man whose heart moves him, you shall receive the contribution from me. And this is the contribution you shall receive from them gold, silver, and bronze, blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twine linen, goat's hair, tanned rams, skins, goat skins, acacia wood, oil for the lamps, spices for the atoning oil and for the fragrant incense, onyx stones and stones for setting, for the ephod and for the breastpiece. And let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell in their midst exactly as I show you concerning the pattern of the tabernacle and all its furniture, so, that, so you shall make it. So the first thing we see here um, that I want to kind of draw out of these verses is that this generous giving is directed to the Lord. It's directed to Him. Um, just walk through this passage a little bit. Moses is told um, to pass this command along to the people. They're to take a contribution. They're to take some of what they own and set it aside for the Lord, for sacred purposes. And, and, and then he gives the practical details. This is, this is what is needed. These are the things that you are to give. And we'll get further into the significance of some of those details as we get through the, more the building of the tabernacle itself. Um, but it's precious metals and it's fine cloth and, and precious stones. It's costly things. This is not menial things that they're asking for. Um, this was sacrificial giving. And in verse 8, 
They were to give these precious things partly for a practical purpose, just building the physical structure of the tabernacle. Um, But the ultimate goal here is these amazing words from God, that I may dwell in their midst. Uh, If you're a Bible writer, highlighter, that, that deserves some circling. That's why you're to give, that I may dwell in your midst. Wow. God is saying, Give these things. Make these donations so that I will be with you. Why does God do it this way? He didn't have to do it this way, right? He didn't have to use the people. Um, He's God. He he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Uh, He could have just as easily had them walk around the other side of the mountain and surprise, there's piles of gold and silver ready for you to build the tabernacle. Could have done that. Super easy. Um, He he could have had the Egyptians just kind of unload everything to Moses and and they had a a treasury to build the tabernacle out of. But no, um, God set this up. He put these resources into the hands and pockets of his people and then said to them, give. Make this contribution so that I may be in your midst. I think there's something about giving. There's something about that physical sacrifice, the way that God sets this up, that makes room for the presence of the Lord. It invites his dwelling and his blessing in a unique way. It prepares space for him, not just just physically, but in the hearts of those who give. It's not just a physical transaction. So um, as we give here yeah, um, that, that's what pays the rental for this facility. That's what pays my salary so I can spend my time studying God's word. Um, that's what buys our, our Bibles and, and helps us plant other churches. But, but it's more than that. Um, there's something that changes in the heart of the giver. It makes space for the presence of God. Think about the, the story of the rich young ruler and Jesus He comes up to Jesus and he said, I've kept all the law and the commandments. I've done everything right. I have all this external stuff done. What what must I do to inherit eternal life? And of course, Jesus first corrects him. He says, you're not good. I don't care if you think you've kept every law in the book. Only God is good. You're a sinner who needs grace. But then what does he tell him? He tells him, go and sell all that you have and give it to the poor then you'll have treasure in heaven. Just give. Go and be generous. And here God is telling Israel, I'm going to come and dwell with you, but first, you give generously. I want to encourage you as we, as we go forward in this to just kind of stop and consider if my heart feels constantly distant from God, My worship feels shallow, one-dimensional, a little bit limp. One place you could look with a critical eye is to say, am I giving generously? Is my worship kind of rounded out with giving, making space for the Lord, or is that element maybe lacking or missing? And that's the call here from the Lord through Moses. Call the people to give generously, sacrificially, so that I may dwell among them, so my presence would be with them. Um, God has designed giving to be directed toward himself as this act of worship, seeking after his presence and, and preparing us, cultivating our hearts, preparing space for him. Are you, are you doing that? And one of the ways that works in us, one of the elements of that preparatory work in our hearts is that generous giving is not only directed to the Lord, but it's also dependent on the Lord. It's dependent on him. Um, We're going to skip forward a little bit in Exodus. Um, Flip over to chapter 30. Um, We're looking at verses 11 to 16. Um, The context here changes a little bit. The last passage was Moses kind of openly asking for donations. We're going to build this tabernacle that God is directing us, and so we need your donations to do that. Um, Now it's a tax that's being imposed, but but I think it falls under the same category of giving, and, and I'll explain that as we get into it. But chapter 30, verse 11, the Lord said to Moses, when you take the census of the people of Israel, then... Each shall give a ransom for his life to the Lord when you number them. 
that there be no plague among them when you number them. Each one who is numbered in the census shall give this, a half shekel, according to the shekel of the sanctuary. The shekel is 20 geras, half a shekel as an offering to the Lord. Everyone who is numbered in the census from 20 years old and upward shall give the Lord's offering. The rich shall not give more. The poor shall not give less than a half shekel. And when you give the Lord's offering to make atonement for your lives, you shall take the atonement money from the people of Israel and shall give it to the service of the tent of meeting, that's the tabernacle, that it may bring the people of Israel to remembrance before the Lord so as to make atonement for your lives. Thank you. Well, it seems to me that escalated quickly. I mean, first it was, hey, if your heart moves you, come and bring a donation. This looks a little bit more like give or die. Um, wow. Um, what's going on here? This tax was to be given, yes, as an offering for the Lord, but, but it was a ransom for their life. And the implication here is that if you do a census and you don't pay tax, you die. It says the Lord will send a plague. And how serious is God about this? Well, if you're curious, um, this afternoon you could, you could dig into 2 Samuel 24 and, and you'll see what happens. David took a census in pride. He, he did not do this and follow through and taking this tax. And 70,000 men died in a plague before the Lord relented. He's serious about this. And so this idea of the ransom an atonement here. Um, this isn't talking about salvation. This is talking about physical death. And here's what's going on. There, there are two reasons that you would take a census in the ancient world. Uh, one was to collect taxes. You, you count all of your people to know exactly how much money you get. And the other was to build an army. Say, so how, many, how many soldiers do I have at my disposal? How big are we? That's why you would count the men over the age of 20. And so what, what are you tempted to do then when you take a census? You're tempted to pride. You're tempted to sit back and look at all of your money and how big your army is and say, yeah, I'm strong. I'm rich. We've got this. I can take care of myself. Um, I don't know if you did this, but as a kid, I used to always um, just collect change and put it aside in a jar. And, and you just let that build up and, and build up. And there was just nothing better than taking over mom's coffee table for a whole afternoon and, and lay it all out and count it. And you'd be stacking all of your quarters and nickels and dimes. And back then we even had pennies. Kids, you can, you can ask your parents later about what those are. Um, but you'd lay it all out and look at my wealth. Look at how it's accumulated. Look at what I have. That, that's the ancient equivalent of taking a census. And just bask in your wealth. It tends toward pride. And so God said, I want you to take a census, Moses. You're going to count all of the people. But at the same time, I want you to give. I want you to collect this tax. Every person, rich or poor, doesn't matter. A half shekel. A half shekel was nothing. Small amount of money. Very menial. But here's the purpose. Down at the end of verse 16. That it may bring the people of Israel to remembrance before the Lord so as to make atonement for your lives. It wasn't about the money. The money didn't make atonement. The money brought them to remembrance of the Lord. The Lord is saying, every time you count your people, every time uh, you as a country are tempted to find security in yourself, confidence in your own, uh, own strength, you need to take this tax just enough to remind you that your life is in my hands. I made you out of dust. I breathe life into you. Remember, you were, you were slaves in Egypt. You were as good as dead. And I brought you out. Giving is meant to be a reminder, an expression of our dependence on the Lord. As I give of my money, I'm admitting my money that, that I earned, that I feel proud of, was never the thing that was meant to give me security in this life. It was, was never the thing that was going to protect me. It was never the thing that was going to provide for me. My life doesn't depend on money. My life depends on the Lord. He's the giver of life. 
So whether rich as rich can be or absolutely dirt poor broke, that's not where my hope is. That's not where my confidence is. So if you have money, you're, you're covering the necessities of life. You've got that down. Um, you have enough money to, to go out and buy a coffee at a coffee shop just for fun. Go out to a theater and, and watch a movie. That's rich. Be careful. Don't, don't let your confidence, your security slowly drift, maybe without you even recognizing it, off of God and, and onto wealth, onto money. 1 Timothy 6, 17 Paul warns, as for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, that's proud, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. Giving is is God's prescribed way for us to kind of regularly be reminded of that and, and to practically, physically break that trust that we slowly build up on money. And putting my money in the bag is putting my hope in the Lord. It's saying, God, I, this was not my hope. I don't trust in finances. I trust in you. But what if I don't have money? What if going out to Wendy's after the service is just not an option for me because I'm not sure I'm going to pay the heat bill this month and that's going to be important this month. What then? Well, I don't think you're immune to this. It is just as likely that you would also be too focused on money and I know that because I know my own heart and I suspect yours is very similar. If having we start to think that having money is what would fix my problems. Oh, if I could only have more money, then I would have security, then I would have peace, then I would have hope. And we focus on money, we trust in money, not as what we do have, but as what we wish we had. And it's just as wrong and it's just as deadly. Now, I totally get that you simply cannot give as much as others might give. The amount is not the point. But even those who who struggle and are failing to make ends meet, um, don't, don't neglect giving. Don't miss this opportunity, even in time of need, to, to break the deceitful power that money so often has over us, to step out in this tangible act of faith and say, even though I lack money, my faith was never in money. Even though I don't have enough money, um, my faith is in the Lord, and so I can... I can give as a statement of my dependence on him. And, and maybe that's like $50 on the month. Maybe that's $10 every couple of weeks. Maybe that's a $5 bill. Maybe it's a loony. It's not about the amount. It's about that intentional dependence on the Lord. It's about my heart. And Paul says this, 2 Corinthians eight twelve. For if the readiness is there, It's acceptable. The gift is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. So give in proportion to what you have as this statement of, I need you, Lord. You're my hope. Uh, I tell you, I I remember well uh, being in seminary, um, which is very expensive, um, especially when the Canadian dollar's not doing well and I was doing school in the States, um, working a part-time job, trying to pay the bills with four kids at home, um, trying to figure out eight different ways to feed the family on potatoes. We went through a lot of potatoes. Um, we, we didn't go to movies. We didn't go out to eat ever. And I remember that feeling of putting money into the offering plate because we had committed that we would never not give. That does something in your soul. Something beautiful. And as you, in your lack or in your abundance, proclaim, no, God is my sufficiency. God is my security. That's where my hope lies. God is honored in that. I get Luke 21, um, verses 1 to 4, story I'm sure you've heard. Jesus looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the offering box. And he saw a poor widow put in two small copper coins. And he said, truly, I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them. 
For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, put in all that she had to live on. That's faith. And Jesus judged her gift not by the amount, but, but according to what she had. It didn't matter how much. It didn't matter how rich or poor she was. That wasn't the point of the rich people. It's not that their gift was insignificant. It's that this lady gave so little, but she had so little. She was making a statement. I trust in the Lord. He is my help. I don't put my hope in in princes and kings or wealth or anything else. My hope is in the Lord. That's this worshipful dependence on him. I want to throw in a Just a tidbit there. If the reason you're having a hard time getting by, if you're stuck in credit card debt up to your eyeballs and you've made some dumb purchases that are just hurting you and you're not winning with money, um, let us help you with that. There there are people here in this church, brothers and sisters who love you, who've learned some things along the way and would love to come alongside you and just walk you through that and and help you learn how how to honor the Lord better with what you have. But back in Exodus here, giving is to be directed to God. Giving is this act of dependence on God, but then giving is delighting in God. It's delighting in Him. And and to see this a little more clearly, I want us to fast forward now to chapter 35. Um, That's past Israel's rebellion and restoration into the actual building of the tabernacle, the obedience to the commands that we've already read. Um, I'm going to read verse 4 all the way down through 36 too. So um, buckle up. Um, we're, in for, we're in for a haul here. Um, let, me, uh, let me read this. So chapter, Exodus chapter 35, um, starting in verse 4, and I'm going to get a drink of water first. Moses said, To all the congregation, the people of Israel, this is the thing that the Lord has commanded. Take from among you a contribution to the Lord. Whoever is of a generous heart, let him bring the Lord's contribution, gold, silver, and bronze, blue and purple, scarlet yarns, and fine twine linen, goat's hair, tanned ram skins and goat skins, acacia wood oil and the light spices for the anointing oil and for the fragrant incense and the onyx stones and stones for settings for the ephod and the breastpiece. Let every skillful craftsman among you come and make all that the Lord has commanded, the tabernacle, its tent, its covering, its hooks and its frames, its bars, its pillars and its bases, the ark with its poles, the mercy seat and the veil of the screen, the table and its poles and all of its utensils and the bread of the presence, the lampstand also for the light with its utensils and its lamps and the oil for the light. And the altar of incense with its poles and the anointing oil and the fragrant incense and the screen of the door and the screen of the tabernacle. And the altar of burnt offering with its grating of bronze and its poles and all its utensils, the basins it stands, the hangings of the court, its pillars and its bases, the screen for the gate of the court, the pegs of the tabernacle and the pegs of the court and their cords, the finely worked garments for ministering in the holy place, the holy garments for Aaron the priest and the garments of his sons for their service as priests. Then the congregation of the people of Israel departed from the presence of Moses, and they came, every one whose heart stirred him, and every one whose spirit moved him, and brought the Lord's contribution to be used for the tent of meeting, for all its service and for the holy garments. And so they came, both men and women, all who were of a willing heart, brought brooches and earrings and signet rings and armlets, all sorts of gold objects, Every man dedicating an offering of gold to the Lord, and everyone who had possessed who possessed blue or purple or scarlet yarns or fine linens or goat's hairs or tanned ramskins or goatskins brought them. Everyone who could make a contribution of silver or bronze brought it as the Lord's contribution, and everyone who possessed acacia wood of any use in the work brought it. And every skillful woman spun with her hands, and they brought what they had spun in blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twined linen. All the women whose hearts stirred them used their skill, spun goat's hair. And the leaders brought the onyx stones and the stones to be set for the ephod and for the breastpiece and spices and oil for the light and for the anointing oil and for the fragrant incense. 
all the men and women, the people of Israel whose heart moved them to bring anything for the work that the Lord had commanded by Moses to be done, brought it as a free will offering to the Lord. Then Moses said to the people of Israel, See, the Lord has called by name Bazalel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur of the tribe of Judah, and he has filled him with the Spirit of God and with skill, with intelligence, with knowledge, and with craftsmanship to devise artistic designs, to work in gold and silver and bronze, in cutting stones and settings and carving wood for the wood of every skilled craft. And he has inspired him to teach both him and Aholiab, the son of Ahissamach, of the tribe of Dan. He has filled them with skill to do every sort of work done by the engraver or the designer or by embroider in blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twine linen or by the weaver, by any sort of workman or skilled designer. Bazalel and Aholiab and every craftsman in whom the Lord had put skill and intelligence to know how to do any work in the construction of the sanctuary shall work in accordance with all that the Lord has commanded. And Moses called Bazalel and Aholiab and every craftsman in whose mind the Lord put skill, every one whose heart stirred him up to come and do the work. So verses 4 to 19, you have um, basically this recap of, of the commands that, that God had given through Moses to give. And then we see them carrying it out. As we read through these verses, I think one of the things that comes up, stands out to me, is the diversity of the giving as everybody's joining in. Um, people didn't just give gold and silver. There was more to it than that. You see people bringing what they had to contribute, but then uh, the women are saying, I can do the, the needlework. I can pitch in. You have men who are skilled in carpentry and metalwork saying, well, I can do some of that. Um, God calls these, these two men, Bozalel and Aholiab, and, and he's like, put his spirit in them to do artwork and craftsmanship. How cool would that be? Like, this is, this is Holy Spirit-empowered engraving. Um, man, that's amazing. Then they're giving to the tabernacle, um, to the Lord, more than just stuff. Um, I think there's, there's three basic categories that the Lord calls us to give. Um, our time, our talents, and our treasure. And every one of us has something in each of that, those categories. So some of us have more in one category than another. But we all have time. We all have different talents. We all have different treasures at some capacity. And God says, hey, you want my presence among you? Give it. Use it. Be engaged. Um, that's, that's why we call you. Come and serve. Don't, don't come to church as a spectator. This is not a consumeristic thing. Um, this is a come and, and put your shoulder to the plow with us. Come and work alongside us. Come and, and serve. And those who are engaged in serving will tell you that changes the way you experience worshiping together um, when this is something that you're working together for, where you're donating your, your time and your talents here. And sure, some people are blessed in different ways. Um, some people have been more bountifully blessed financially. And, and, and if God gives you abundance of skill, you can, you can work at different things or different giftings you might have that you can, you can offer to the church, to the, to the Lord in the church. But, but what you can't do is rely on one of those areas and then feel like you're kind of off the hook for the others, right? That, that we might be able to kind of think, well, I have money, uh, so I'm going to give money and, and then... You know, serving on the Connect team, no thanks. I don't really have time for that. Giving my time to the church, I wrote a check. Um, isn't that enough? Or maybe you don't have a lot of money, and, and, and so you say, well, I can serve. I can just, I can just help uh, and, and keep my money for myself, and, and, and I'll do pro presenter every single week instead. Um, no, that, that's not the way the Lord has called us. Certainly, you can give more where the Lord has blessed you more, um, but we, need, we ought to be engaging in all three of these areas. Giving to God of my time and my talent and my treasure. But the bigger question here is why? What's driving this? And maybe here's a good place to just admit, I think we all know people who are not Christians um, who are amazingly generous. Maybe even who put some Christians to shame in generosity. So what, what makes Christian giving unique? What makes this significant? 
And the answer is, is the heart behind it. Seven times through these verses, we see these words, everyone whose heart stirred him, or all who were of a willing heart, or whose heart moved him. And the culmination of that, the, the clarifying statement is in verse 29, all the men and women, the people of Israel, whose heart moved them to bring anything for the work that the Lord had commanded by Moses to be done, brought it as a freewill offering to the Lord. Their heart moved them to freely give this to the Lord. They aren't held hostage. They're not compelled to give. This isn't given out of guilt or shame. This isn't given to kind of make myself look better to those watching. This is, this is given to the Lord as, as they're moved in their heart to give to God. So what exactly moves their heart this way? Well, they believe that giving is better than not giving, or they wouldn't have done it, right? They, they believe that it's actually better to give than to keep. 2 Corinthians 9.6 says this about giving. The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Um, we've got a bit of an uh, agrarian culture around us. You get this, if you throw out a little bit of seed, you get a little bit of crop. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. If you put out a lot of seed, you get a lot of crop. That's the promise of reward for those who give. Jesus says, or Paul says, give generously. Jesus talks about his storing up treasure in heaven. There's a, there's a reward. There's a, there's a benefit to this. But this passage here gives us, I think, a unique perspective. Not a unique perspective, but a, a particular angle on this. What is the reward that they're after? Back to chapter 25. Let them make a sanctuary that I may dwell in their midst. That's what they want. Own of the Lord. That's the thing that makes it better to give. It's nothing other than the Lord himself. I want his presence. Their, their delight is not in gold and, and wealth and silver and cloth. Their delight is in the Lord. The Lord will be with us. Take it. Take it all. How can I help? Can I pitch in? I can do that. If it means the Lord will be with us, that's what I want. Matthew 6, Jesus says, don't store up treasures in heaven, but or sorry, don't store up treasures on earth, but store up treasures in heaven. And then verse 21, he says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Giving is worship. Our heart follows our, our money, or where our heart is, is, is where, we, where we spend, where we give. And that, that act of giving ought to be an act of delighting in the Lord, saying, okay, God, I'm giving you this because you are my joy, because you're worthy of honor, because I believe that having you is better than having all the money in the world. It's delighting in him. So giving is directed to the Lord, giving is dependent on the Lord, and giving is delighting in the Lord. And then finally, giving is responding to the Lord. And this is so significant. Um, I want to look at the end of uh, this passage, chapter 36, and then we'll jump um, almost to the end of the book into chapter 38. So um, 36, picking up at verse 3, right where we left off, um, down to verse 7. And they received from Moses the contribution that the people of Israel had brought for doing the work of the sanctuary. They still kept bringing him free will offerings every morning so that all the craftsmen who were doing every sort of task on the sanctuary came, each from the task that he was doing, and said to Moses, the people bring much more than enough for doing the work that the Lord has commanded us to do. So Moses gave the command, and the word was proclaimed throughout the camp, let no man or woman do anything more for the contribution of the sanctuary, so the people were restrained from bringing. For the material that they had was sufficient to do the work and more. Now flip ahead to chapter 38, uh, and what we have here, verses 21 to 31, um, this is the record of what was given. These are the records of the tabernacle, the tabernacle of the testimony, as they were recorded at the commandment of Moses, 
the responsibility of the Levites under the direction of Ithamar, the son of Aaron, and the priests. Bazalel, the son of Uri, son of Hur of the tribe of Judah, made all the Lord commanded Moses, and with him Aholiab, the son of Ahissamach, of the tribe of Dan, an engraver of designer and embroider in blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twine linens. And listen to this. All the gold that was used in the work and all the construction of the sanctuary, the gold from the offering was 29 talents and 730 shekels. Now, we'll get lost in the details. We have no idea what that means. Um, A talent is about 75 pounds. Um, So um, that's 7,500 pounds. So, lost my spot, sorry. Um, The gold from the offering was 29 talents and 730 shekels by the shekel of the sanctuary. The silver of those congregations who were recorded was 100 talents and 1,775 shekels by the shekel of the sanctuary. A becca, a head, that is a half a shekel by the shekel of the sanctuary. Um, So this is the tax for the census. For everyone who is listed in the records from 20 years old and upwards, 603,550 men, the hundred talents of silver for casting the bases of the sanctuary and the bases of the veil, a hundred bases for a hundred talents and a talent a base. And of the 1,775 shekels, he made the hooks for the pillars, overlaid their capitals and made fillets for them. The bronze that was offered was 70 talents and 2,400 shekels, and with it he made the bases for the entrance of the tent of meeting, the bronze altar and the bronze grating for it, and the utensils of the altar, the base around the court, and the base of the gate of the court, all the pegs of the tabernacle and all the pegs around the court. The point is, this is a lot. 75 pounds of talent, um, so 7,500 pounds of silver, 5,000 pounds of bronze, it's a lot. They gave generously. They gave abundantly. In fact, they gave so much that the craftsmen who were working had to stop their work and go over to Moses and say, tell them to cut it out. We've got too much. We're overloaded. We're not going to use all of this. That's phenomenal. Now, just coincidentally, Grant's going to give us a financial update um, later this morning after the service. Um, and it's good news, but we're not, we're not quite there yet. I'll let you know. Um, don't stop. Um, this is crazy. The people gave with abundance, this overflowing, ridiculous generosity. And again, the big question is why? And, and I don't think that's answered in the details of the text. I think that's answered as we kind of step back and, and look at the narrative here. Look at what's happened. First of all, what's he asking them to give? Gold, silver, fine cloth. Exodus 35.22, as we read, says they brought brooches and earrings and signet rings and armlets, all sorts of gold objects. Hold on a second. Where did they get this? They're slaves. They've been slaves for 430 years. These are not the possessions of slaves. If you remember, as they came out of Egypt, Exodus 12.36, as the Lord brought them out, it says... And the Lord had given the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. And so they let them have whatever they asked. Thus they plundered the Egyptians. As Israel is leaving, God so worked in the heart of the Egyptians that they were like, hey, do you need anything? And and they plundered them. They emptied out their, their jewelry boxes and their treasure chests. Israel walked out of there with their arms full of gold. God gave this to them. And so the the Israelites are so keenly aware that everything I have is from the Lord. He did this. We're just stewards. We're just caretakers of what God has amazingly generously given us. And so so they give generously back to the Lord because they realize that everything I have is his anyways. As you approach giving, stop and ask yourself, what do I have that's actually mine? You think, well, I mean, I worked hard to get my degree and get my job to get where I am today. Sure you did. And and where did you get that ability to work hard? Where did you get that intelligence with which you earned your degree? 1 Chronicle 29 
uh, helps us maybe answer this question. Uh, it's David setting aside material to build the temple, which is kind of the permanent version of the tabernacle. And, and he sets aside so much more. The, the tabernacle had a hundred talents of gold and silver. David set aside 3,000 talents of gold and 7,000 talents of silver. And then David prayed and, and he says this, First Chronicles 29, 11 to 14, Yours, O Lord, yours is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heavens and that is in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come from you, and you rule over all. In your hand are power and might. In your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. And now we thank you, our God, and praise your glorious name. But who am I and what is my people that we should be able thus to offer willingly for all things come from you and of your own have we given to you? Power, strength, might, giftedness, talent, success, business sense, luck. It all comes from God. You're not an owner of anything that you have. You're a steward. You're a, you're a caretaker for a season. When we give to God, we give to him out from what is his own. But it's so much more than just gold and silver. Right, We give this generous response that God has so richly blessed us and we ought to be responding to those physical gifts that he's given us. But remember the narrative here. They were slaves in Egypt. They were abused and overworked as good as dead and the Lord had mercy on them. He saved them. He utterly destroyed Egypt and rescued them and made them his precious, unique people. He gave them his law. And then they sinned against him. They broke his law, making this golden calf and, and worshiping it. And again, they, they were as good as dead. He should have destroyed them. He would have been right to do it. But Moses pleaded with the Lord for mercy. And the Lord reveals himself to Moses. And he says these amazing words, Exodus 34, 6. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He forgave their sin. He gave them life when they deserved death. And it's immediately following that act of grace that we see this overflow of generosity happen. That's a picture of us, right? This whole thing through Exodus and the, and, and, and the rescuing of God's people, that's, it's God painting a picture of our rescue from sin. We were as good as dead. We deserved death and hell for our sin. We were slaves to sin, and he pulled us out of that. He made us his own people. Reminds me of the, the sinful woman who came to Jesus. He was eating in the home of a Pharisee, Luke 7. A woman who by the law should have been put to death. She would have been a social outcast, condemned, despised. But she came to Jesus with this extravagantly expensive perfume worth a year's wages, and she poured it out over him. And, and, and while the hard-hearted Pharisees sneered at this supposed wastefulness, Jesus explained to them that, that those who have been forgiven much love much. Her generous gift was this extravagant display of her love and worship for Jesus because she understood how much she had been forgiven. Our generous giving ought to be a response to the generosity of God to us in the gospel. Um, as soon as we get in our heads this idea that I have to give to God in order to impress him, in order to kind of buy his favor, oh, now you've offended him. Now you've gone the wrong way, assuming that you can somehow earn his favor. No, he's, he's given it freely in Christ. He says, come to me and I will give you life. I will give you joy. I will give you endless riches in eternity to come. So our giving is responding to him. It's saying, thank you, Lord. Um, you have given me more than, than this earth can contain. I deserved eternity in hell, and you gave your own son to die in my place and have given me life. 
He who knew no sin became sin for us that in him we might become the righteousness of God. How much then should we give? We, we get caught up in Old Testament law asking, well, 10%, should I tithe? We've, uh, we, we've talked about this in the, in the past, that the Old Testament law is passed, that's set aside, that was pointing forward to the greater reality of, of Christ. We're not under that law. We're not to give 10%, we're to give ourselves. We're to give everything. We're to give generously of our finances and of our time and our talent, um, giving our lives to the Lord. That's how we give from the heart, recognizing his grace toward us, basking in the wonder of the gospel, gladly, joyfully responding to his grace. And that lingering thought that you have right now is exactly right. Not in a million years could I ever give an appropriate response to what he has given me. Especially since every time I give to him, I am more indebted to him because I'm just giving to him what he's already given to me. What grace that he entrusts us with time and talents and treasure and then invites us to give back to him in worship that we might have more of his presence. That we might have more of him as we depend on him and delight in him and joyfully respond to him. That his presence might be among us. Church, I hope you will integrate this into your heart as you, as you think about giving, as we go forward in, in generosity, whether you have tons to give or whether it's, it's a loony to say, Lord, I trust in you. I'm dependent on you. I desire you and I'm responding to the goodness of your grace. That's the heart of giving. Let's pray together. Father, you are so good to us. We stand amazed in awe and wonder that that though we deserved hell and wrath, that you have sent your son to bear that penalty, that all who come to you in repentance and faith might have life, forgiveness, and joy into eternity, and that your presence might be with us. God, help us to honor you as we should with what you have entrusted to us, with these things that we are stewards of, Lord, cut our hearts loose. We're so quick to find security in the physical things of this world to put our hope there. Lord, let it not be. Let our hope rest in you. God, that we would be generous, abundant givers for the glory of your name, responding to the goodness of your grace. Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.